Welcome into another edition of the Half Court Press Podcast. I'm John Niatawa, joined by nobody. Chris Hetty, my co-host, is on the road. I'm guessing he's somewhere between Peoria and Champaign, Illinois on I-74. I've made the drive many times. I'm an Indiana boy, so I've, I've driven through and across Iowa, through and across Illinois into Indiana. It is a tough drive. There's not a lot. And so that's what Hetty is dealing with right now, um, which means I've got to go solo on this podcast because we, we had to come and record something after all the news that's gone down really on both the Creighton end and the Nebraska end over the last couple of days. And plus, there's a lot going on in, in, in the world of basketball over the next week. So I want to at least uh, reach out to the listeners and, and, and let you guys know sort of some insight and, and, and some perspective uh, from myself and I got some notes from Chris as well to reference. So um, hopefully we can uh, get you your basketball fix here on the Half Court Press Special Edition podcast, John Niatawa Solo Edition, I guess you could say. Uh, before we dive in, let me give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Buffalo Wings and Rings, always fresh, never frozen. Go check them out at 120th and L. Uh, great spot. Matter of fact, Chris and I will be there next week. On Monday, we're going to record a special Half Court Press podcast, NCAA Tournament Preview Edition. Going to break down the brackets, going to set the stage for Creighton, find out where the Jays are going, break down their matchup, first round, potential run uh, through through the tournament, and uh, have a lot of fun. Probably eat some food, probably make some terrible picks. You guys can then make fun of us later. It's fine. But hopefully we'll have a good time, and hopefully you'll enjoy listening to that. So be on the lookout. Monday, I think that's the day we're recording the day after the selection show. Crazy, the selection Sunday is, I mean, we're recording this on a Tuesday, so that's five days away. I mean, whew, best time of year. Glad to spend some time talking hoops. Uh, we'll start with the news. Creighton announced on Monday that Marcus Zagorowski, sophomore point guard, has a meniscus injury in his right knee, and he is doubtful for the first game of the Big East tournament. It's obviously a tough blow. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski played a phenomenal basketball game, leading the Jays to a 77-60 victory over Seton Hall on Saturday. But at the end, he appeared to land awkwardly on his right leg as he kind of lunged for a steal, and he limped off the court. And then he had ice on his on his knee after the game, and Greg McDermott said in a press conference that the initial diagnosis didn't indicate that the injury was serious, but at this time of year, if you have a knee injury or a leg injury, it's always serious because you just don't have a lot of recovery time. And so that's kind of what the Jays are dealing with now with Marcus Zagorowski. Now, we don't know the extent or the full diagnosis of this, like how significant is the meniscus injury? Is it a tear? If it's a tear, to what degree does it require surgery? Like, we don't know that. I think Creighton's kind of being a little bit coy um, intentionally, I'm sure, because one, an injury to a key player like Marcus Zagorowski can affect your seating in a negative way. The NCAA tournament committee, uh, selection committee will ding teams at times. Um, if they know that they're going to lose a player. So that's one. There might be some gamesmanship in there because obviously the Jays don't want to give away game plans or allow uh, maybe make make it a little bit diff- more difficult for teams to prep or prepare for them, uh, not knowing whether Zagorowski will be available. And and three, maybe the Jays just don't know. I mean, it, it, I, there's a sort of that idea of how will the body respond, how quickly can he heal, how quickly can he get back. Knowing Marcus Zagorowski and his track record, I mean, this dude played through a hip injury that required surgery at the end of last year. He broke his finger, um, it, uh, broke a bone in his in his left finger or left hand, uh, like pinky finger, and um, 
He left the game, came back at halftime with a wrap on it, played the rest of the game, missed three games after surgery, and was but but was back on the court and still led the Big East in three point shooting. By the way, uh, three point shooting percentage was an all Big East or Big East all freshman team honoree last year, not being healthy. So you know this guy. I mean, he is a he is a true sort of gritty, gutsy player that. If he if there's a chance he can play, he will try to play or at least fight to try to play. So I don't think that the the book is completely closed on Marcus Segarowski for the season yet. Um, but obviously we don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know about um, about his status. And so perhaps as the week goes on, we we'll find out a little bit more. Um, my assumption is is that uh, it may be until opening game of the NCAA tournament. Um, or maybe even even after that, before we know truly what Marcus Zagorowski is dealing with. Um, it's obviously a, a blow. I mean, Creighton fans, you guys know how important Marcus Zagorowski is. He's the second-leading scorer on the team at 16 points a game, averages five assists per game, which leads a team. He's second on the team in three-point shooting, 42% from the, uh, from the field there, and has just been on uh, at an incredible scoring efficient like he's been so efficient lately uh with his shot selection uh, with his um you know getting in into the heart of a defense and making plays i think he's shooting 60 percent from the floor over his last eight games and that includes a one for ten dud at st john's so if you take that away i mean this i mean he's just having he's had a great sort of final run final stretch uh here as a sophomore so to take him off the floor for the jays it's obviously um uh, an incredible, um, incredible blow for them. So they're going to have to adjust. Now, if you're a glass half full type of person, I mean, it's kind of hard. There's no silver lining here because Marcus Zagorowski is likely out um, at least for, for game one. But it, so in the scenario that he doesn't play, I have a few sort of thoughts that might ease your concern a little bit as a Crane fan. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> it's kind of hard to, uh, uh, you know, again, like paint a uh, a nice sort of picture here, knowing that the possibility uh, there's a possibility that Creighton could be without um, one of its best players. But in the event that Marcus Zagorowski is out, um, my assumption is, is that means that Tyshawn Alexander logs more minutes at the point. He did this as a freshman. He was basically the backup point guard behind. Well, he and Davion, Davion Mitz kind of almost shared that spot. Uh, Davion started, but Tyshawn Alexander played, I want to say, like 20 minutes a game as a freshman at the point guard position. So he's got experience there, and he's done it intermittently um, since that. Last year he did it a little bit, and, and this year in during stretches in games and in practice he has. So he was working at the one a little bit in practice on Monday, so I'd, I'd guess if Zagorowski's out, you'll see some Alexander at the point. Um, and he's got a 3-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio in the Big East or against Big East teams. So he's done a good job of taking care of the ball, uh, making decisions, creating for one for for others, and I actually think he's really uh, he sees the floor really well in transition. Like he's one of their better passers in terms of of a guy who kicks the ball ahead um, and gets sort of that tra- sort of sparks transition when you think eh, there may not be nothing there. All of a sudden, the pass is going over the top of the defense, and Christian Bishop's catching it for a layup, or Damian Jefferson's got it in a favorable situation. Um, so. I think there are like I think he can handle. I think Tyshawn Alexander is a guy who can handle that, and and uh, it, I w- would imagine without Marcus Zagorowski, it means more minutes for Sharif Mitchell. And while he's had some up and down moments as a freshman, I think he's played two of his better games of late um, against DePaul in mid February. Scored eleven points, 
uh, four or four shooting. And I think he hit his first three in that game too. So that was, that was a a confidence booster for him. He didn't play well against St. John's, but uh, against Georgetown tied a career high with six assists. And he looked really good sort of um, navigating into the heart of Georgetown's defense, penetrating and kicking, um, made some really good passes through traffic and then made some good sort of drives, jump stop, kick it out uh, to find uh, a teammate for a three pointer. So he's, he has that pe- that that ability within him. He's shown the glimpses. Sharif has, um, but it, you know, again, if if Zagorowski's out, obviously the pressure is going to be on him to do it on, on a more consistent basis um, in the Big East tournament and beyond. And then the other thing too to note is that so my the the assumption is is if Tyshawn Alexander plays the point, then you slide Mitch Ballack to the two, and then you move Damian Jefferson to the three, and insert Denzel Mahoney, the Big East sixth man of the year at the four and suddenly from one through four, you have a lot more length and sort of width about you. Uh, perhaps that adds a different element to Creighton's one, three, one zone. If it decides to go that certainly within it's man to man defense, it can maybe switch more confidently one through four on ball screens, maybe even one through five on ball screens because, um, you know, with Marcus Zagorowski, he, he's six one. I mean, there are times against Seton hall where, uh, the Jays were switching screens, and all of a sudden you had uh, Sandro Mamakashvili guarded by Marcus Zagorowski, and it was like, that's not an ideal situation there. And in, in, in the event that Mamu got the ball, 6'11", right? You know, like, they had to, Creighton had to bring help, and then all of a sudden you're compromised on the other side of your defense because you're double-teaming if he gets the ball rotating around. Um, you got to be careful if, if you use that defense. Um, but... You know, with with a little add add in a guy like Denzel into the into the fold to give him a little bit more minutes. You'd imagine that that, that five, whether it's Kelvin Jones or Christian Bishop at the five, and then those four, Alexander Ballack, Jefferson Mahoney, um, those five will log a lot of minutes minutes together over the coming days, assuming that Zagorowski's out. Um, so maybe it adds a different element to Creighton's defense, makes them a little bit more effective, get they're able to get in the passing lanes a little bit better, add some versatility. We'll see again, maybe reaching for straws, grasping for straws here a little bit here um, in terms of the, uh, the, the, the sort of positive outlook with, with Marcus Zagorowski, the potential of him missing time. But I, I, I think it's worth noting that um, as important and valuable as he is, obviously this Creighton team, has been about more than its uh, gritty point guard um, this season. And there are good players around him. So I know from just being around this team and being around practice that these guys are not going to prepare any differently. Um, they're going to be maybe even more motivated to kind of prove people wrong to, that, that are thinking, well, all right, Creighton's the one C, but it's losing its point guard. No way it's getting to the quarters or getting past the quarters. No way it's getting to the finals. I think that the Jays will use that. Um, they've used those kinds of, uh, um, sort of motivating factors at various points during the season the players have. And I, I don't know, they've they've always had, I mean, the season started where they were kind of backed into a corner. Uh, Jacob Epperson went down with a gruesome injury in practice. The Big East coaches picked him seventh. So it was like automatically from the get-go, it was like, man, th- no one is really expecting a lot from us. Uh, that sort of mentality, the, the, the Creighton players could feel that. And yet they were just kind of like, oh, well, like 
they don't, that's what they think. Cool. We're going to do our thing. We think that we can accomplish a lot. So there is a, it's a confident group. It's a really confident group. And I'd imagine that you're going to see that, um, even with or without Marcus Zagorowski on the floor in New York city. Um, so again, we'll see how, how the Jays respond if, if he's out. And one thing to note too, that I think, I don't know if it helps or maybe it's just something to mention is because like Creighton, it almost feels like Creighton's playing with, with some house money here in New York city. It's the one seed. It's never won the tournament before. Um, so there's that, but the Jays got a banner. I mean, they accomplished something. They got some tangible proof that there's progress being made. Uh, they, they set a goal and they reached it and yeah, they do want to win. Don't get me wrong. Like they're going there to win. I talked to those players on Monday after practice and that's like Tyshawn Alexander and Mitch Valley. Both of those guys have like these, uh, moments in their careers at Madison square garden where things have not gone well. Freshman year uh, for those two, they lost the heartbreaker to Providence in overtime, and Mitch Ballack missed a potential game-tying three-pointer with, like, five seconds left. And then last year, they lost to Xavier, and uh, that was another heartbreaker. I think Tyshawn Alexander had a three-point shot that could have given the Jays the win. Right at the buzzer, it got blocked. So Ballack and Alexander, they're 0-2 in this event in Madison Square Garden. So they're motivated to to perform well, but I think the idea that like they've kind of proven something and that they have they have a uh, they 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 did have to grind to get to you know Saturday, um, but then they got that moment where they could really sort of um, exhale a little bit and celebrate. Um, Mitch Ballack was talking about leaving the arena after the game and walking into the old market he was meeting his family and some friends for for dinner and so he's passing all these Creighton fans who are partying and living it up and they're giving him shout outs and he's giving them shout outs back and he's like it was just a cool scene and Greg McDermott was saying that he'll never forget uh what the atmosphere and sort of the um the vibes of, of elation and joy um that overtook everyone on the court as they, uh, the students rushed the court. The players celebrated with him. He he's doing a post game interview with with Fox and Damian Jefferson comes in there. It's like uh, we did a baby, we did a baby. You know, just like pure um, raw happiness. And uh, you, it's rare that you get to experience that with one another um, and your fans. Kind of in that moment, and they unveiled the banner, they cut down the nets. So like having that experience and, and sort of being able to say like, all right, like we have, uh, a, a, almost a receipt for our labor. <laughs> like the, we have a tangible, um, uh, we have a trophy, we have a, a, a banner that, that we've accomplished something, maybe take some of the pressure off the Jays as they go to New York city. So we'll see how they do. Um, obviously it's not going to be easy, especially if Marcus Zagorowski, I mean, even if he's limited, like, it, 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 it won't be easy. My assumption is, though, that if he's at all on the fence, as as my colleague Tom Chateau wrote um, in, in his Tom's takes, like, you don't need to win games in New York City because uh, you're already in the NCAA tournament. You already got a high seed if you're Creighton. So um, the chances of Marcus Zagorowski playing in New York, even if he's not 100%, like, you don't want to risk, risk it. You don't need to rush him back. Um, it's not a must-win scenario. So... Again, we'll see how 
the Jays do. I want to talk a little bit more about the Big East tournament. I want to preview the Big Ten tournament. There's some news in Nebraska basketball land that i got to mention. Uh, the Huskers have gone to the gridiron to find a couple uh, new pieces to the roster. Uh, we'll give UNO a shout-out, too. But first, a message from our sponsor, Buffalo Wings and Rings. All right, Big East Tournament. Creighton's the one seed, obviously. Uh, the Jays have never won this event. They finished second in 2017, finished second in 2014, uh, but they've never been the one seed either. So they'll have the target on their back. Um, <laughs> you know, there is the sort of East Coast Riders reaction to Creighton celebrating with a banner, with cutting down the nets, with a court storm after it clinched a share of the regular season crown on Saturday. Uh, maybe some folks thinking like, the Jays maybe shouldn't have done that since they're sharing the title with two other teams, Seton Hall and Villanova. Uh, but so maybe that adds a different dy- a different element. I don't know if it will or not. I'm not sure if, if the Big East players care about that because I'd imagine if they were in Creighton's shoes, having experienced sort of the momentous, I mean, that game on Saturday, you guys have all heard about it and, and read about it, I'm sure. But like, you know, it was for all the marbles. The atmosphere was it was electric. Uh, the Jays ended in on a 30 to 10 run, made 12 of their final 13 field goals, um, just emphatically claimed a stake in in uh, in the Big East title race, and, and I guess clinched their title. And so, to do it in that fashion, it just felt fitting that yeah, court storm, cut down the nets. I mean, it felt like everything crescendoed up to that moment, and uh, yeah, it drew the drew the ire of of some. Uh, out-of-town spectators, out-of-town fans, but uh, I'm not sure that, I don't know, maybe, again, maybe Big East players will think about that, but my assumption is is that they'll be so uh, concerned about having to guard all the uh, all the Creighton actions offensively and, and trying to slow those guys down that that'll take mo- most of their focus. So Creighton's the one. There's a storyline there. Um, my assumption, though, is that most people will predict that Providence as the four, t- four seed will emerge out of that side of the bracket. So take down Butler, upset Creighton, go to the finals because of the way Providence has been playing of late. Uh, The Friars are on fire. And on the other side of the bracket, I think Villanova's played good good basketball lately too. So um, I would would imagine that the most common sort of prediction is a Providence-Nova final. And I don't know. That makes sense to me, but I'm also of the mind like, let's shake it up. So like I will be really curious to see what maybe you've, you've got a couple teams that have been reeling a little bit, but they have veteran guards who are not going to be afraid of the moment, um, who actually thrive in that in the, in that moment. You know, you're in the mecca of college basketball, New York City. Um, it's a postseason. The energy is different because it's a postseason event. Um, Miles Powell, Seton Hall's lost two in a row. So Miles Powell, like, can he will the Pirates uh, to a title? 
Marcus Howard, Mar- Marquette. What what was it? Five of they lost. Marquette lost five of six, maybe six six of seven. Is that right to end the year? Um, but but Marcus Howard's if if he gets going, if he gets hot, suddenly the Golden Eagles are can elevate themselves uh, to a new level. And then there's Butler who maybe has found a groove a little bit since it's skid. You know, Butler lost to Georgetown at home. Uh, went to Seton Hall and just got clipped at the very end. It was a buzzer beater shot by uh, Mamu Kashvili for for the Pirates, like with 0.6 seconds left on an inbounds play. And then Butler came to Creighton and just got steamrolled. So kind of hit rock bottom maybe a little bit, the Bulldogs did. And then it seems like that found their footing a little bit. Kamar Baldwin had another ridiculously clutch and impressive shot. Um, right at the buzzer to beat Xavier. I mean, this that dude, I thought Miles Powell was the clutchest guy in the Big East, but it, this year it might be Kamar Baldwin because that guy um, has been uh, incredible at the end of games. So he's another, I mean, they just have these alpha dog, bulldog type mentalities. Um, so many teams in the Big East do with, with their veteran guards that you can just put the ball in their hands and they can go make a play and carry a team. Um, on a run in three days, if they get hot, you know things things can happen um, and and upset the balance a little bit. So I'm looking at those three teams. Like, is it crazy if I picked a Butler Seton Hall matchup in the final? I, probably crazy, but I don't know. Maybe I'll do that. Um, switching gears here, we got to talk some Nebraska basketball. Um, I, again, we'll okay. We'll start with the news. It was announced on. Well, I guess when Nebraska played at Minnesota and got completely uh, demolished, 107-75, uh, the Huskers were without Deshaun Burke and Cam Mack. And it, it, they traveled to Minnesota but and got sent home. We found out, I think, I, I guess on Monday, Deshaun Burke or was it? Yeah, it was, no, it, well, it was late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. Deshaun Burke posted a message on Twitter that said uh, he'd missed curfew Friday night in Minnesota and uh, it kind of indicated that he and Cam Mack did. And so that's the reason why they got sent home, suspended indefinitely. And then Deshaun Burke said that uh, that he he was done. Like he's not going to be with the team in Indianapolis. And Fred Hoiberg confirmed on Tuesday that Cam Mack's not going to be there. So again, the Huskers are going to be without two of the better players, better scorers, better guards as they go into the hornet's nest basically i mean i'm sure the crowd's not going to be amazing on a wednesday night but you still play in indiana a team that's desperate uh to make the ncaa tournament can't lose this game in indianapolis like it's an hour away from campus most of hoosier fans indianapolis is hoosier country so like it's going to be all well i guess it's going to be the huskers are red too but it's going to be crimson i guess is it indiana crimson uh, it's going to be Indiana crimson red. A lot of a lot of uh, red and white striped pants in the stands, um, and it's basically a road game for for Nebraska having to play Indiana. So I mean they'll have the the the, the idea like they can play with nothing to lose, but it's going to be extremely tough. Um, but as a I don't know is it a fun storyline or is it just kind of weird? Uh, certainly worth talking about. Nebraska announced on Tuesday. Well, I guess maybe I should back up. What Fred Hoiberg said when he uh, met with reporters was like, we're going to make some roster additions. This is Tuesday morning after he uh, 
confirm that Deshaun Burke and Cam Mack are going to play. He he notes that we're going to make some roster additions um, ahead of the Big East tournament or Big Ten tournament. And I'm thinking, wait, what? How can you find players to play uh, basketball for you in such a short span? It has to be some player, you know, some students on campus. Like, did they hold tryouts, secret tryouts or something to fill spots? A few hours later, we found out what he meant by that. The Huskers have turned uh, to the football team to add some bodies, add some depth, um, create some buzz, add some energy. I don't know. Noah Vedral, quarterback, um, and Brant Banks, an offensive lineman, 6'7", 300 offensive lineman, Brant Banks, they are now on the team, and they're traveling with the Huskers to uh, Indianapolis for the Big Ten Tournament. And I would, I mean, I don't, it's hard to say what to expect. I I didn't know, I don't know anything about these guys' basketball ability. I I thought it was pretty funny that like Nebraska sent out a news release indicating that, that these guys were on the team and then they sort of listed out their player stats as if like these guys, hey, watch out, these guys might contribute. Noah Vedral averaged 13.6 points per game as a senior uh, and 14.1 points per game as a junior at Bishop Newman High School, uh, winning back-to-back state titles. And Brant Banks averaged 11.5 points per game and 7.6 rebounds as a junior at Westbury Christian High School in Texas. Um, he didn't play basketball as a senior. So, like, maybe these maybe these dudes can ball. And you know what? If they can ball, like, why? Eh, maybe they have responsibilities with Husker football, but, like, couldn't they have been on the team earlier? Maybe it doesn't matter, but certainly something to watch for. I got to imagine there's going to be a lot of Nebraska football fans who otherwise wouldn't really care about um, a potential 17th consecutive loss for the Husker basketball program. I got to imagine there's a lot of fans who would be like, well, I'm going to tune in just to see Noah Vedral in a Husker uniform or uh, Brant Banks suited up. What can these guys do? Like, I'm I'm eager to see Chris Hetty um, or somebody – uh, send out like a little video of these guys. I'm, I'm, Nebraska's basketball account probably will just see them warm up. What do they look like with the ball in their hands? Um, again, it, 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 it probably won't matter, but um, incredible. This season, as Chris Hetty has summed it up a few times on this podcast, and he wrote a really nice article um, over the weekend, just kind of detailing the, um, you know, I guess, is it disappointment? Is it frustration? Is the, the moments that mind-boggling? No one saw this coming. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe you kind of assumed as much after the first couple of games. Uh, Nebraska losing to um, Riverside and Southern Utah and getting pushed by Southern in in overtime. Like, that's obviously that was an ominous sign. Um, but to lose, I mean, 17 in a row, it's just, it, it's unheard of. So I guess the, the losing streak currently is at 16. It could increase to 17 if the, if the Huskers end their season tomorrow. Again, we're recording this on a Tuesday. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. And again, we'll have Chris in back on the pod to break down um, sort of the end of the Huskers season where you know where a guy like Deshaun Burke stands, Cam Mack stands. You know, like you're reading through the Twitter statement from Deshaun Burke, and it kind of feels like it might be over. 
right? Like his Husker career might end. He's, he, I think he's going to graduate this year. I think that's what he indicated. Um, so he could grad transfer and play somewhere else. Um, Cam Mack so has two years of eligibility left. He's an honorable mention, Big Ten, all Big Ten player, uh, I think nominated by the media. Had a good year. It's had recorded the Huskers' first triple-double. Um, but, you know, it seems like his status for, for next season is in question. So we'll definitely do some sort of roundup or, or reset, roster reset perhaps. Um, and it, it could be that a lot of this news starts solidifying or becoming more definitive once the season ends and uh and getting the Huskers get into the off season and start making some some roster moves and and getting back on the recruiting trail I think there was some sort of indication that Nebraska is going to be pretty active again on the recruiting trail this year whether it's going after transfers or maybe even there's some 2020 guys that the Huskers can add now they have a full roster but again like I said these we're talking about Burke. We're talking about Mac. Maybe there's some other pieces, other players that that uh, realize that they don't fit here and that they're going to go to. So we might be in store for another complete sort of roster overhaul um, in uh, this offseason. Now, the transfers are still going to be here. They're going to be eligible. We know sort of the, Id- the general idea of what the roster will look like um, from like maybe we we're talking about six to seven guys that were comfortable saying okay yeah i think they're gonna be back but there's 13 spots plus some walk-on spots so who knows uh but yeah like i said chris and i will will try to track that and, and break it down for you here on this podcast uh before i go i want to mention uh you know we don't talk about the mavericks very often on this podcast but we always kind of keep an eye on it and if a story uh sort of emerges then then it kind of we end up uh, sort of discussing it and breaking it down. We did it last year as the Mavs made a run, nearly got their first Summit League title, just missed it by a game, and uh, made it to the uh, uh, you know made it to the Summit League title game and, and lost. So we definitely discussed some Mavericks basketball last year. This year, not as much. They've kind of been up and down this season. Um, showed some flashes, uh, especially early on, but. Um, it didn't end well, unfortunately, for, for UNO. Lost 79-52 to Oral Roberts in the quarterfinals of the Summit League tournament. Uh, their season is over, and it's the end of the, the, the line for seniors J, uh, K.J. Robinson and J.T. Gibson, uh, two really dynamic scoring guards and leaders for that team. Um, I do like kind of the, the nucleus, the younger nucleus for the Mavs. I mean, Matt Pyle's going to be back. Um, rebound machine tied a Summit League record with 21 boards against Oral Roberts, um, so he'll be a centerpiece. But I, I feel like UNO's added some athleticism and found some pieces that it really likes, um, a, a youth movement, so to speak. Um, so we'll see how quickly those guys can kind of get ingrained and adjust to a larger role next year. But, yeah, the Mavs fell to Oral Roberts. It would have been tough, I, I would imagine, to take down North Dakota State. It seems like North Dakota State's playing pretty good basketball right now. And uh, I guess I could be wrong. I think tonight is when... Uh, North Dakota State matches up against rival North Dakota in the Summer League Finals. So uh, maybe I get proven wrong there, but uh, um, it, it, that would have been a tall task if, if UNO beats Oral Roberts, which is already a tough matchup for, for the Mavs, um, or has historically been. If they found a way to get past Oral Roberts, then they would have had to play North Dakota State, and that would have been a tough matchup. But, um, yeah, that's, that, that was the... Uh, it, it's it's it, it's kind of you know on one hand it's exciting for UNO to uh, have the season all come down to one weekend and on the other hand it's it's kind of 
um, unfortunate because, you know, whatever happened from November till February is almost rendered irrelevant. Sure, you want to position yourself so you're playing good basketball, you have a good seed in the in the tournament, but um, I guess in the, from a positive standpoint, you can rewrite your season, rewrite the narrative um, in the Summer League tournament, or, you know, it's kind of a flash in the pan, you're out, and, and, and folks kind of forgot what you accomplished because all that's sitting in their mind is the final game, 79-52. So an unfortunate finish, but obviously uh, I do think that the Mavs are in a good place from a kind of building uh, standpoint, and it should be uh, they should be competitive in that league from uh, for the next couple of years. Wow. I think that is everything. I think we've covered, again, like I said, there's a lot to get to um, that's happened since we recorded last, and I wanted to at least sit in here and break some things down um, relay some news to you guys and give some perspectives and we did that. So Chris apologizes that he couldn't be here. Like I said, I'm sure that he would rather be sitting right ne- here next to me as opposed to driving. Maybe I should have just called him and put him on speaker or something <laughs> like it could have disrupted the drive. I'm telling you guys when you're on, I don't know if any of you have made this trip, but when you're on I 80 and you're like in between Des Moines and Iowa city, or you're on I 74 in between Davenport and Peoria, like there's, there's no exits. It's two lanes. There's hardly any cars. You just sort of zone out and all of a sudden it's been an hour and you're like, was I driving? Like what, what happened? I mean, it, you, the image gets kind of burned in your brain of the of the horizon and the road in front of you, and you just sort of – it's weird. I, it's, I mean, maybe that's just me, <laughs> and it's probably not good, by the way, but that's just like uh, – that drive can be uh, pretty terrible. So, yeah. But he'll be back next week, and like I said, we will be on the road at Buffalo Wings and Rings breaking down the NCAA bracket as best we can. We'll try not to steer you steer you wrong, as Chris said last pod. Maybe the best bet would be to just go with the opposite of our picks. I, again, that that probably maybe I should do that. I should sit there, fill out the bracket, and then go the opposite. I, I don't know. It's it's crapshooting. This year feels like it's going to be um, more unpredictable than ever. I'll end the pod like I always do with a prediction: If Creighton and Nebraska played today. The Jays would be without Marcus Zagorowski, but um, Nebraska would be missing two of its guards. Yeah, I think Creighton wins by probably about 35 points. So appreciate you listening. Thanks for your support. We will be back, like I said, next week with more Half Court Press. Thanks again to our sponsor, Buffalo Wings and Rings, always fresh, never frozen. Check them out, 120th and L. Now this time of month or this time of year, this month in particular, good time to go over there to Buffalo Wings and Rings and visit them. So thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week.